Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of your one and only begotten Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing your own heart and mind to us. Bless the Holy Spirit. We thank you for giving us this sacred record of the life and ministry and sin of our Lord Jesus. We pray, Blessed Spirit, that you may reveal to us and manifest Christ in our minds and our hearts that we may see something more about the heart of our Lord Jesus. Bless us, we pray, as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let us go back to Matthew chapter 11 and verses 25 to 27. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Father wills to reveal him. And then in the parallel passage, Luke chapter 10, Verse 21, we have this additional information. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. And in verse 22, uh, we got a little bit more. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. Well, Mark, sorry, Matthew chapter 11, Luke 10, a parallel passage. Uh, they seem to be referring to the same uh, events, the same sayings of our Lord Jesus. In Luke's account, he said, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Uh, the word there, rejoice. It's not just a little bit of joy, but overjoy, exalt, great joy. And uh, the Lord Jesus was moved by the Holy Spirit to be exalted, greatly rejoicing. In the midst of both disappointment and spiritual victory, we shall mention spiritual victory first. Because when you go back to Luke chapter 10, we are told that the Lord Jesus sent out the 70, and they came back from the mission trip, and they were just overjoyed to see how evil spirits were being subjected to them in the name of Jesus. 
I don't know how many of you have cast out demons. I certainly have not. But it must be a rather exciting experience uh, to be confronted by evil spirit and to cast them out in the name of Christ. Uh, the 70 disciples, they were so joyful. They were overjoyed. And Jesus said, He saw Satan fall down like lightning from heaven. At that point, Jesus, our Lord, was anticipating of the great advancement of the kingdom of God after his death and resurrection. Satan has already fallen down from heaven above. From then on, the kingdom of God is going to be advancing from strength to strength. That was spiritual victory, excitement, but also at the back of that, uh, right about the same time, as we shall see in more detail, there was also great disappointment as our Lord Jesus surveyed the result of his ministry among those people who were most blessed to see most of his miracles. Now tonight we shall continue our studies in the emotional life of our Lord Jesus. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, what else? Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, when we are filled with the Spirit, we shall bear fruit of the Spirit and we shall exhibit this characteristic. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. We have mentioned already uh, John tells us in the third chapter that our Lord Jesus Christ will fill with the Holy Spirit without measure. Where are we going to see the fruit of the Spirit in a man's life? Except in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we see the leading uh, character of our Lord Jesus is that of love and joy and peace. There is a deep peace in the heart and life of our Lord Jesus. There is great joy. Not the sort of joy we may have in seeing a comedy or cracking a joke, but the deepest joy in the heart. Our Lord Jesus has, in the midst of the various experiences of life, whether it be disappointment, whether it be success and spiritual victory. Well, we may pause here and ask one another, how do we deal with disappointment in life? 
How do you deal with disappointment in life? Well, we see how little children we act so often in an angry way. If a child doesn't get what uh, she wants, she may throw up a tantrum, got mad and angry. How about you? How about me? How do we deal with disappointment in love? We expect something, we pray for something, we work toward that, but it doesn't happen according to our wish and desire and expectation. Do we give in to despair? Do we get angry? Do we get frustrated and agitated? Some people get sour and bitter. Some people are full of vinegar because of the dis disappointment in life. Well, how about us? How about you? How about me? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Do you have peace? And life does not turn out in the way you wish or expect. Are we able to rejoice with this deep joy? You know, we observe Jesus' life. We see deep in his heart there is this deep current of peace. There is a tremendous poise and calmness in Jesus' heart. And we see that in the, in the life of the most eminent Christians. They reflect the image of Christ so clearly and so beautiful. I'll give you one example. Uh, a man of God whom many of us know quite well is our dead friend, Mr. Spurgeon. Well, you use his daily devotion. You read his two-volume or four-volume autobiographies. You read about his life. There we have a well-balanced and well-proportioned Christian man, an all-round Christian character. Deep joy and peace in the face of disappointment, illnesses, pains, weaknesses in his latter life, being betrayed by some of his own people. Theologically, we come closer to our own time. I think of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, whom J.R. Packer said was the greatest man he had ever met because Lloyd-Jones was so full of God. Well, for those of you who know anything about Dr. Lloyd-Jones, or have read or listened to sermons, well, we, we see that tremendous poise and peace and dignity 
and authority. Now some of us may be of less well-balanced type of character, we may have a nervous type of temperament, we may be born with that. Well, it is of tremendous value to get to know this man and walk with that. It was Spurgeon saying, if you want your faith increase, keep company with great men or women of faith. That's a good advice. You feel your faith to be small? Keep company with people who have great faith. Well, that's by the way. Now look at the disappointment of our Lord Jesus here. The context of this marvelous saying, which we, we know quite well, is that lack of success in Jesus' ministry. Our Lord Jesus would build the cities in which most of his miracles have been done. But because they did not repent, the people were excited by the miracles of Jesus. They followed Jesus on mass. Uh, they put him up on a pedestal, so to say. Uh, but they were not converted. Excited, but not converted. Because they did not repent. Now we can be easily deceived, isn't it? If people are excited about the gospel, about the things of God, about the church, well, we get very excited. But are they converted? That's the question, isn't it? Are they truly converted? Have they repented? Our Lord Jesus upbraided his listeners, his witnesses in these towns, Corrosin, Bethsaida, Caponium. Jesus spent most of his time preaching to them, performing miracles among them. And yet, very few of them were truly converted. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, sorry, Isaiah chapter 49, you say. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 4. In prophecy, in one of these so-called seven songs, uh, the son of the Lord complains to the Lord. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Undoubtedly, the mind of our Lord Jesus was informed by Isaiah chapter 49, verse 4. I've labored in vain. I preach in vain. I perform miracles in vain because these people are not truly converted. Well, it was a great disappointment. Would it not be? Well, when you think of that, God sent His only begotten Son into this world. He performed unheard of and unrepeated miracles in His lifetime. The Son of God preached day after day for many hours, 
Yet so few of the people who heard him were truly converted. The apostle got more converted. I dare say Spurgeon had more convert than our Lord Jesus himself. Now that, that is something that, that ought not to be, is it? We would expect the people who heard our Lord Jesus and saw his miracles would repent on us. They did not. Our Lord Jesus clearly was disappointed. And that's why I could say, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Carosi. Woe to you, Caponia. To woe people. No, there's no such word as that. But to pronounce woe upon people is a serious matter. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not do it largely. He, he was hurt. He was angry. He rebuilt that. And yet, let's see his own response to that disappointment. Look at verse 25 in Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus answered and said, Interesting, isn't it? Jesus answered. You look at it. To whom was he answering? Well, no one was asking him question. Jesus answered. He answered whom? He answers Father. Of this providence of his Father. Father, this is your providence. This is what you have appointed as the result of my ministry among these people. He answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Our Lord Jesus could answer his father in this way. He was able to be so peaceful in the face of disappointment because he knows God and he knows himself. So we shall consider this under these two angles. Jesus was able to be so peaceful in the face of disappointment because he knows God and he knows himself. It's just so peaceful and beautiful, isn't it? Jesus answered and said, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Father, for who you are and for your sovereign good pleasure. I thank you that my ministry among these people did not bear lasting spiritual fruit for the time being. I thank you for my lack of success in my ministry. Fancy me. And notice he calls God Father. 
This is the way our Lord Jesus addresses his Father. Father. Our Lord Jesus is conscious that he's the Father's Son. I am your Son. From all eternity. And now, in my flesh, you are my Father. Well, friends, if in our prayer we can say nothing but say to God, Father, there's already so much to say. Such a blessing. Oh, some believers said, I don't know how to pray. Well, if you are a true believer, you do know how to pray. You cry to God, my Father. You know, you order all things. What a blessing it is to be a Christian. To be able to go to God and call God Father. Think for example, our Muslim friends, they will be aghast to hear us calling God Father. Oh, they could not think of Allah as their Father. Oh, think of the Buddhists. They don't know God to be their Father. Some years ago, I got an interesting experience. Well, our relation in Hong Kong said I must go to see the big Buddha. I didn't really want to go. Uh, but eventually I thought, okay, I'll just go and see, have a look. So, going up those stairs to see the big Buddha, there's this chanting, uh, uh, Buddhist chanting. I found something interesting. Seeing the chanting is a bit like pop song like Cantonese pop song. They're popping. I think they learned it from the Christian church. Uh, make it lighter. Pop. Uh, to give you the sense of, well, a nice sentiment, a warm sentiment. They do not know God as Father. We know by the grace of God. No matter what we have done, no matter how much we have failed the Lord, no matter how much we are worried or, or, or are in fear, we can go to God and say, Father, what a blessing. And that address to God as our Father is won by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then our Lord Jesus goes on to say, Lord of heaven and earth, Father, my Father, you are Lord. You are Master over heaven and earth. You are King over all. You have every right to do what you want to do. You work out all things according to your sovereign good pleasure. And then Jesus says, in thanking God, His Father, as Lord of heaven and earth, in this way, you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight.
our Lord Jesus thanked God the Father for having hidden from the wise and the learned and the great man of God the things of God. He thanked God the Father of having revealed these things to no bodies, to the downtrodden of earth, because it seemed good in God's sight. He thanked God for hiding truth from the great and mighty, but revealing them to the poor and downtrodden, because it is God's good pleasure. My dear friends, when we consider this more carefully, it is a hard truth, isn't it? Thanking God for, the, for hiding truth from the great and mighty. Thanking God for that. I read of a good commentator whom I respect greatly, but who is Armenian. But it's helpful, you see. But learned as well, godly as well. <laughs> and he says, oh, this text. Well, notice that our Lord does not thank the Father that he had hidden these things from the wise and prudent. But that seeing they were hidden from them, he had revealed them to, uh, to the others. I read it again and said, where, where does he get that? It's not there at all, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus clearly is thanking God, the Father, for hiding things, God's things, from the wise and the learned. It's that plainly in the text. I know when you think of that, it's hard truth, isn't it? God, the sovereign Lord, hiding truth from the great and mighty. Now, this is one of those truths that we attempt to hide from, from unbelievers. So don't tell them. Let's get angry with God. Well, we'll move on. But God has revealed these things to base, to the unlearned, to the uneducated, to the downtrodden, the poor. My dear friends, it is only when God reveals Himself to people's hearts, including ours, that we can truly know God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? I don't think the modern church really believes that. Look at the way we have devalued prayer. If we believe this, we'll be on our knees day and night. We'll give our greatest attention to the prayer meeting. Oh, we say we believe this, but our action betrays. Rather, we believe if we have certain methods, if we have certain charismatic people, celebrity, if we have certain music, certain type of worship, certain type of exhibition of emotions, then we will get the result. It's the program 
It's the method. It's the personality. You got those things, without will be suffering. Well, I think our actions betrays what we believe. But if we do believe that oh, it's only as God reveals Himself to people's hearts, people who truly know Him, then I say we are going to work much harder in prayer. Now here our Lord Jesus Christ is thanking God His Father for hiding truth from the great and mighty, the learned, and revealing truth to the lowly and humble and unworthy. All according to the sovereign good pleasure of God. I'll give you two examples. I read of a great missionary to Iran. A faithful man labor on for half a century or more, only to see the doors for the gospel in Iran closed. And he said, over the same period of mission work in Iran compared with China, we see the great disparity of result. In China, over the since the middle of the 19th century to the middle of the 20th century, great advancement. Many people got converted. In Iran, going from bad to worse. This was a reform missionaries. And he said, this is the sovereign good pleasure of the Lord. Another example, personal example, of George Muller. You heard of George Muller? man of quick faith, he got so many hundreds of his prayer answer. You know when his father died, he wasn't sure whether his father was truly conquered. He was heartbroken, deeply grieved. And there's one text that comforted him. What text do men like what text would comfort a man who got hundreds of prayer answered remarkably, but his prayer for his father didn't seem to be answered? The text is in Genesis 18, verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You see, friends, this is the bottom line. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I believe in God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is sovereign over all. He must do the right. Though I may not understand. Now we notice here our Lord Jesus rejoices in knowing God to be his Father to be Lord of heaven and earth, to be a sovereign God. Mr. Spurgeon once said, when we know that everything comes from our Father's hand, then we need not fear. A woman worthy of her husband, 
Friends, if we know everything come from our Father's hand, we need not fear. We may say we do fear because there's a disconnect between our theology and our faith, isn't it? God is mercy on us. The Lord help us. The Lord is gracious and forgiving. So first of all, the reason why our Lord Jesus has such tremendous peace is because He knows God. If anyone knows God, it's Christ our Lord. Secondly, Christ our Lord knows Himself. Verse 27. Now you look at it and go for it very slowly. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except, sorry, no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Now you have to read this sentence very slowly, very carefully, and for many times. Because packed into this one or two sentence, sentences, with so much about the self-esteem of our Lord, His self-consciousness, his self-awareness, his self-regard with a window into the heart of our Lord Jesus, his deepest conviction, his consciousness about who he is and what is his calling. Let's look at it. Verse 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. He's here speaking as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the mediator between God and sinners. God is my Father. He has delivered all things to me. This is my calling. This is why I am here on earth. And then it goes on. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And Luke has something added here. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. Now that is our Lord Jesus. Starting with his humanity. Saying that no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. Now, dear friends, as believers in Christ, we can say something like that, isn't it? We can say, well, no one really knows all about me except God. Can you say that? I trust you can. And you as a believer tonight, you say, well, I rejoice in the fact. No one knows all about me. We may add, as sinners, 
Thanks for it. No one knows. Oh, shut up. <laughs> But I thank God. He knows all about me. And He has forgiven me. He has received me. He loves me. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. I am acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. For behold, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. What a joy it is to be able to say that with David. Lord God, you know all about me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You know my past, you know my present, you know my future. You know my deepest thoughts, you know my feelings, you know my fears. You know all my failures, you know all my struggles. You know them all. And you have set me and you loved me. Oh friends, we can rejoice in God's comprehensive knowledge over us. Instead of saying with that atheistic French philosopher who says, hell is ours. You know what saying? Jean Paul Sartre, he said, hell is ours. When people look at me, when people gaze at me, and I have to live up to their gaze, to their value, and to their standard, they define me, and I found that to be hell. My dear friend, we say the opposite. Heaven is in the presence of God. And even now, we have heaven on earth, because God looks at us, God gazes at me, he defined what I am. He set a standard for me. And I rejoice in that. That is heaven. I thank the Lord that my life is defined by God. And I'm called to live up to God's standard. What a joy. What a joy. Well, we move on. Our Lord Jesus goes on. He does not just say, no one knows the Son except the Father. A mere man can say that. But he goes on to say, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Wow. This has to do with Christ's divinity. Who can say this? No one knows the Father except the Son. Jesus is here claiming to be the very Son of God. No one knows the Father except me, the Son of God. But thank God that the Son does know all about the Father and has revealed the Father to us. And our Lord Jesus goes on to say, you know this, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Just now the Lord Jesus thanked God the Father for His sovereign good pleasure. 
And now the Lord Jesus is saying, well, I'm sovereign too. I have a good pleasure to will to reveal God to whomever I please. Christ, our Lord, the Son of God, is sovereign over all. He has the right and authority to reveal the Father to whomever He wishes. And then our Lord Jesus issued that famous calling in verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To those of you who are laboring, you are toiling, you are working so hard, day and night. And to those of you who are heavily burdened, you are burdened with so many things, work, concerns, for the now and for the future. Well, come unto me and I will give you rest. What a promise. Only God can give us rest. Only God can promise anything like that. We live in a time when Christian counseling is very popular, isn't it? Not just Christian counseling, of course. It's a, we borrow it from the world. Don't shame. You got problems. People got problems. They go to the counselor. Even our federal government pays for this of counseling, maybe ten session or whatever. Well, the counselor can only take so many cases per day. He or she may be able to take, I don't know how many cases they do, maybe four to five. Well, eight to ten would be, would be too many, isn't it? And of course, uh, they cannot take on all the burdens of ever so many people. And of course, after the counseling, you have to uh, pay your fee. It's not very cheap, it's cheaper than, say, a lawyer, I know, but uh, you have to pay your fee. Uh, a counsellor is a paid friend, maybe a good friend, but it's quite expensive friends. But our Lord Jesus here promises us, come unto me. No matter how heavily laden you are, how much you are labouring, I'll give you rest. we move on very quickly. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for my souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh friends, there's so much here, isn't it? I shall only mention one thing. Here our Lord Jesus says explicitly, what is hard is love. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You look into my heart, my heart is gentle and lowly. Someone said, his father told him, that Spurgeon said, third hand is a fourth hand. Well, it's true. There are 89 chapters in the Gospels. Let them up. Only one verse. 
that tells us explicitly from the mouth of our Lord Jesus what is his heart's mind. Isn't there something? So many chapters in the Gospels. One verse is here. Our Lord Jesus tells us what his heart is like. And what is his heart like? I am gentle in my heart. The word gentle means meek, humble. My heart is gentle. My heart is tender. It's kind. And that word, lowly. Such a wonderful translation. It's literally lowly. Got the idea. Well, when we say humble, well, it may be a big word. But the heart of our Lord Jesus is low, low, low. His heart is like that. What a great encouragement. No matter how low we may be. Some of us here may be saying, well, I'm really low. Low in terms of money. Low in terms of wealth. Low in terms of health even. Low in terms of education. Well, the Lord Jesus is more than happy to associate with the lowly. Because his heart is lowly. Now, just very quickly. What should be our response? We've mentioned so many responses already. Well, but to someone, we are the no cross. We take him as our Lord and Savior. He is the God man, the Son of God in human flesh, our Lord, our Savior, our example, the pattern for our emotion, our life. We are to know God. We are to trust God's sovereignty, to entrust ourselves to the sovereign good pleasure of God, like our Lord Jesus. And we are to follow Christ, to do our God-given duty to each one of us. The God-given duty to Christ is that He should be the Savior of the world, that He should be the West giver, the Messiah. Well, we, of course we are not going to do anything like that. But we are going to know who we are, our identity, how to work out of Who am I? What is my only comfort in life and in death? Is that I don't belong to myself, that I belong to my Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ has paid for all my sins and that I'm going to serve Him willingly, ready to live for Him. I'll finish off by giving the example of Mrs. Luther, Katie Luther. Well, we all have heard of Luther and have uh, read some of his saying. But what was Katie Luther like? Catherine. What was she like? Well, <laughs> she was a nun before. And then she left the nunnery 
you will remember the story. Luva uh, got all these non-married, except he couldn't find anyone <laughs> for Catherine. No one wanted her. Oh, she must be quite a character. Uh, and Luva said, well, no one, no one wanted her, so I, I must take on her. And uh, she became the wife of the great reformer, doing what? Cooking, serving, cleaning, gardening, caring for a growing family, even buying investment properties. She once asked Luther, well, Dr. Luther, when I was in the London, we got so much time for prayer, for devotion, but now I got so little time for prayer, for devotion. I'm doing all these things. And people didn't like Mrs. Luther, especially uh, dealing with properties, <laughs> trying to keep uh, Luther's finances in control and stop him from giving away all his money. Uh, people didn't quite like him, but my dear friends, Without Mrs. Luther, the work reformer could not do all that he did. Without her looking after his diet, his food, well, maybe he would die much sooner. We got a point. We have to do our God-given duties. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, what a wonderful Savior. Is Jesus our Lord. He's our Lord. He's our mediator. He's our example. Christ is our life. He's our joy. He's our thought by day and by night. Now Lord, increase our faith. We dare pray. Help us to follow the footsteps of our Lord Jesus and to do our God-given duties. So Lord, send us out from this place for a new week of work, whether we work at home or whether we work in schools or in the office or we are students. May we do all things to your glory and honor. Through Christ Jesus our Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen.